Hi, it's Carolina. I'm so excited that you could join us on the City Point Redcliffe podcast. You're just about to hear a message from one of our incredible preaching team, and I know you're going to be encouraged and inspired by what you hear. If it does encourage you, why don't you share it with someone who you know might need to hear it as well? And make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any of the messages that are uploaded every single week. And for now, sit back and enjoy. I hope you get blessed. This morning, we're actually going to come around uh, our word, and uh, we are going to read a full old chapter today. And I love the word. I love this time, this season, and I think it's so easy that we could miss this is the service between Christmas shows. But God is actually expecting something and ordained something specific for this gathering here this morning. And uh, I really want to speak around this idea of come to my table, hence the table. <laughs> I'm going full prop mode, full method acting. And, uh, and I, I want to set the scene in just a moment as we read this scripture. But I know as we've, um, we now have uh, three people in our family, we're going, what sort of Christmas habits do we want to articulate in our family? Like, uh, do we want to be the family that does this or does this or does this? I'm, I'm really all about efficiency. And so <laughs> I'm not... I'm learning how to be ex- more outward with my celebration. Uh, grace me in the gray period. Um, <laughs> and uh, it, I'm sure if you give me a gift on Christmas, I will be pleased. Uh, but I'm also going to go, great, probably going to buy that for myself if I do want it. I'm one of those people. But uh, coming into this Christmas season, there's a couple of guarantees around habits. And one of the habits that we had as a family growing up it was Christmas was synonymous with driving. Was anyone else in the room like, Christmas cometh three hours in the car? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm going to spend a good amount of time. And uh, there was no iPads or anything there. All we had was minty wrappers and fantails. And uh, <laughs> the true gospel. Uh, <laughs> But as we, we set our own habits, there was also one guarantee is there's going to be a table that is set somewhere and that we're going to eat around it. And there's an invitation from someone in our family, whether you like them or not, uh, and, and come to my table. And uh, there's a, a passage of scripture we're going to read today that is super reflective. There's two um, shoes that we're going to find ourselves in of this message of hope and generosity and grace that we see reflected in the story of Jesus in the Christmas season. And so what we are going to read is in 2 Samuel, which is not generally where you find uh, the gospel of Jesus, but we're going to live there, 2 Samuel chapter 9. And uh, right now I would like to preface that there are some difficult names in this passage. (laughs) I would encourage you to name your children after said names. Um, and if I happen to start nicknaming Mephibosheth with, as meth, all good. I'm not saying meth. Uh, <laughs> Second Samuel chapter 9, verses 1. David asked, David is now king. He has been through quite a lot. Um, and he is now seated on the throne. And he has experienced this period. He has not had his um, challenge yet and temptation with the story of Bathsheba that comes in a couple of chapters, plot twist, um, David ain't perfect. And, uh, but right now we read this story and it is surreal to say the least. By every means of historic, 
historical account by every tradition in this time, this story should not happen. It is an abnormality within the story of ancient um, Eastern tradition. And so we are about to read something that you might read over and you're like, oh, that's a nice movie script. Let's like, ah. Oh. But this is like the Schindler's List of 2 Samuel. This is going to change people's lives. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, David asks, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Jonathan was his best friend, son of Saul. Now there was a, Saul's, a servant of Saul's household named Ziba, and he summoned him to appear before David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? Also a great name for a boy, Ziba. Um, At your service, he replied. I'm not naming my son by that. Um, the king asked, is there anyone alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still one son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Mekir, son of Amiel in Lodabar. So David had him brought from Lodabar from the house of Mekir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. David said to him, for surely I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat to, at my table. Would you come to my table? Mephibosheth bowed low and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? This guy had some image stuff going on. Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's um, servant and steward, and said to him, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and all your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and to bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, son, uh, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now there's a little plot twist. There's a little note in here that says, now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Really a little spot note to say, Ziba ain't, too bad, well off. Like he, he knows what's going on. And then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever the Lord king commands your servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah and the members of Ziba's household were their servants. And Mephibosheth slash Meph lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. And this is quite the story. This is quite the narrative. And, but I want to paint this picture, set the scene. And um, as I set the scene, I'm going to set the table. Because that seems poetic. Um, and the first thing we need to understand about this scripture is that the first verse, this first verse in verse 1 says, David says, is there anyone left of the house of Saul? Now, this question alone, actually super normal super normal of this period of time for when a new king came into power to ask the question of, is there anyone still alive of the previous king? Now, it wasn't for the reasons that came to be in Mephibosheth's sake. It was because anyone of the previous kingdom actually demonstrated that they were a threat to the crown. And so they just casually murdered them all. 
Didn't see that coming. Uh, <laughs> so is there anyone left? You can sort of see the context of the time that without the, the little tag that I can show kindness to, that there is a sort of a level of trepidation that Mephibosheth, at least, can expect when he appears before the crown. And he sees that there is amnesty between his house, the house of Saul, and the house of David. Now, it's not talked about here, but the previous, like, 22 chapters of Samuel paints a very rich picture of how messed up and how um, Game of Thrones this situation is. Um, it is Lord of the Rings, stab him in the heart, um, all these sorts of things between the house of Saul and the house of David. House of Saul, King Saul is the first king, and he is tall, dark, and handsome. He's all the things that humanity wants in a king. Except in God's eyes, he has this one letdown, which is his pride, and he becomes quite jealous. They start singing a song around this period of time when David does a small thing like cutting off a giant's head, minor details. Uh, and they say, Saul killed his thousands. That's a pretty good song. That's, uh, that's patting my, my ego if I'm so... Saul kills his thousands. But then the second line is, but David kills his ten thousands. Now, if you're Saul and you're a little insecure, that's very confronting because the man that you were, the king, now you've got a guy who's outperforming you. And Saul is all about performance. He's all about the people. He's all about what people see him doing. And in comes this shotgun, superstar, 15-year-old punk, and he's taken my spotlight. Oh, because he killed a giant. Um, <laughs> and so we, we see that this is actually the beginning. God just makes a way for David to find himself in the king's house. He is a harp player, he is a musician, and he does everything from changing our, our soul's mood into a good mood with um, singing and performance, and he's a servant. He is not only good with a, uh, with a harp, he's good with a spear. And he goes out and um, Saul offers him do his daughter as a plot to kill David, he said, go out, how's this for a marriage gift, and get me two, a hundred Philistine foreskins. Bet you didn't think that word was going to be mentioned this morning. <laughs> David's like, you know what? Excellent. I can do this. I'll bring you 200. Brings 200, drops him at the king's feet, and let's not ask about that process. Um, but that was a plot to kill David. And we just see that everything David is touching is turning to gold. And the more that that happens, the more insecure David uh, Saul becomes. And to the point where Saul is throwing spears at David as he's trying to serve him. He's now going to try and throw a spear at his own son, Jonathan, because he's supporting David. This guy has some issues. Saul dies, Jonathan dies in a, a battle. David is still not yet king. And there's now a division between the new king of Israel, and now Judah and all that sort of stuff following David. And they decide to have a showdown on this mountain, and one side to the other, they go down, they have a showdown. Anyway, um, Saul's team loses immensely. But just to paint you a picture, this ain't a pretty relationship. This ain't a pretty relationship. And so when David comes to this point of, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul? Everyone is expecting the next line so we can get rid of them. But in comes this, to whom I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake. There is actually a redefinition, a plot twist to this story from there is a history, there is an expectation, but we're going to flip the script into something of generosity. 
there is amnity between the houses. And the reason that this young man, this uh, Mephibosheth, Meph, is lame is because at the word that Saul was killed and Jonathan were killed in the battle, his nanny picked him up, and we don't know whether it's because she was scared for her life or trying to protect him, but either way, there was an escape plan, and they were going to run out, except she tripped, fell or dropped poor little Meph, broke both his legs, broke his back, we don't know, the story has certain gaps, but he ends up being lame. And so we find that there is a fall that sets the scene. There's a fall that means this man is now disabled and unable to actually perform his duties, which in Near Eastern time was dramatic because he can't eat, make any food for himself, he can't fight. What good is this kid? He's about to sit on the road and beg. In so much fact, he gets up into this house of Mekir, son of Amiel, who turns out to be a pretty decent dude later in the story, um, and he finds himself literally just I'm at someone else's house getting someone else's gift. And he lives in a place called Lodabar. And uh, if you're not familiar with ancient Hebrew, which I'm not, uh, we get to this point where Lodabar actually means no pasture. Lo meaning no, Dabar meaning pasture. No food. This guy lives with no food. He is really painted as a picture of this guy lives in economic, socioeconomic poverty, unlike anyone and anything in this time. He can't work for himself, he can't fight for himself, he can't have any money, he can't do anything. He's got royal blood throwing, flowing through his veins that he's in a situation that he can't do anything. And he's now, he's now the enemy of the king. Not a great life to live. <laughs> and so, we, but then we get this invitation where he hears a servant of David knocking at his door, and he's saying, come meet the king. Uh, I'm the heir to the throne. This usually isn't good news. This usually isn't the context that I want to find myself in. I'm not exactly the defending type. Um, Have you seen my legs? Have you seen my disability? Have you seen all the limitations that I have on my life? And he says, I come with me, come to the king. And so you can expect that this young man comes to the king with a level of trepidation that he is expecting the next words out of his mouth being, kill him. Kill him. On the spot, he's a threat, though not much of a physical threat. He's a threat to the crown. Let him down. <laughs> and in it, instead, he says, Mephibosheth, yes, I'm your servant. He says, come to my table. Come to my table, let me show you kindness. Come and eat with me. Come and everything that you think defines you, the poverty that you've lived in, now there's an abundance in the king's fridge. Every amnity, every animosity that used to exist between our houses, it doesn't matter anymore because I'm showing you kindness. Everything that used to define you, the poverty, the history, the social situation, your emotional labels and definitions, they're now wiped clean because you sit at the king's table. And here we are, hundreds and thousands, well not hundreds, I don't know, but years later we find ourselves moving into the narrative of Jesus now at Christmas, and I don't know about you, but I am so solidly relating to Mephibosheth right now. Because I look at my history, I look at my track record, and it has every reason why I should not be shown the kindness of God. 
man, I can't offer you anything, God. I can't speak, Moses, I can't speak. I can't, I can't serve you. I can't provide anything for your household. I can't farm land for you. I can't be a soldier for you. What can I do for the king? Cam, come to my table. Come to my table. He's not inviting you as a servant. He's inviting you as a son and a daughter. He's not inviting you to be the waiter to quickly, quickly pour my drink. I love going to the restaurants where they top up your water without you even realizing. It's amazing. I know that because I was one of those waiters once upon a time. He said, come and eat with me. This is not a position of superiority. Mephibosheth comes to Saul and he oh, to David and says, I am your servant. David like, I know it's an understanding of submission and of like, you are my Lord, I'm, I'm showing you respect. But David just totally glosses over the fact that this guy's in submission to him. And he says, okay, come and sit. I'm going to not only give you no poverty, I'm going to give you a seat at my table. Jesus came and he said, I'm coming that you may live life and life to the abundance that you can may eat with me, and it's not just around what I give to you, it's not about your prosperity in terms of your bank account or your financial situation, but let me give you a life that is worth living in alignment with how I designed you, with peace as your anchor, the peace that surpasses understanding as your anchor, and it transcends the, the poverty, it transcends the disability, it transcends the history and the animosity, it transcends it all because I'm showing you and I'm choosing you. Come and sit at my table. Come and eat with me. I love this image of I've called you to be a son, not a servant, because I don't know about you, this is reflective of the Mary and Martha ordeal. I think Martha gets a pretty bad rap, but um, we're going to throw her down in the hole again. Um, <laughs> we have this story in uh, the period of Jesus when he goes and sees some friends, Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus, who will later um, pass away and be resurrected. That's a cool story to tell someone. Imagine that as your introduction. Hi, my name's Lazarus. I used to be dead. Uh, <laughs> No problem sharing about Jesus then. <laughs> but we get, we get this story where he comes and he is invited to their table. And so there's two pictures here. We have this, this feature of one who is busy. Excuse me, sir. Oh, sorry. <laughs> twist off. It's all about the twist. Excuse me, sir. Let me, let me prepare. Let me get things ready. Let me serve you. There's nothing wrong with serving Jesus, but he says, before you serve me, come and sit with me. Come and reside with me. I know I can get so busy serving Jesus that I forget to actually sit and be with him in the first place. To move my, my plate out of the way and open my Bible and understand and actually talk to him. Because this, this is not a position of serving. This is a position of conversation, of intimacy, of realness. I think sometimes I need to put on a front for Jesus sometimes. God, I'm feeling so stressed. And so I didn't call you to be stressed. I called you to live in peace and abundance in the, in the, the ways of the Spirit. Well, I, I'm going, I, I come and just sit with me. Be with me because this, His Spirit is able to testify with your spirit in ways words cannot 
define for you. He's able to minister to you. And so you open up Scripture, and I'm in desire, apparently, and we find this narrative where I'm, I'm listening. What has God been saying to you recently? And have you stopped serving Him long enough to sit and listen? Are you hearing the voice of God? Are you, have you got a, a, a notebook? Now, I'm not a dear journal sort of fella. I'm a dot point guy. <laughs> and have you literally gone, God, what are you saying? Let me write it down. Let me work with you. Let me converse with you. Let me be with you. Because we can be so busy. Oh, let me... How many services did I attend? Or did I do this? How are the children going? Um, what... Come and sit with me. God doesn't want your service before He just wants you. You are enough for Him. You are enough for Him. With all of the reasons, with all the history, with every disability that may disqualify you, you're enough for Him. You know that Mephibosheth didn't suddenly become healed? He was still lame at the table. He still carried his scars. But I wonder if they were a testimony to him of why every reason he shouldn't be at that table. You see, Jesus gets resurrected as a hole in his hand and a hole in his sides. Why? Everything else is good. Like, the guy came back to life. You think he could have finished the job. (laughs) Or was it to say to everybody else about the goodness and the glory of God. And he didn't even like, Thomas comes like, Thomas gets a bad rap, doubting Thomas? Gosh, I'm in that seat more than often. Doubting Cameron more, I, it's this, this constant, it doesn't discourage him, he doesn't reject him, he actually indulges him. Come, come and see my scars, let them be a testimony of the goodness of God, let them be a testimony of the resurrection. Let your story with all of your disability, with all of your inability, be the very thing that testifies to everybody else around you of the goodness and the kindness of God. Paul says that I have a thorn in my side. He didn't walk around with a rose bush. He had a, a, a situation in his body, a situation in his life. And he said, my weakness is, ah, God, take it away. He says, can I? My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Made perfect in your weakness. I still can't walk. I still can't serve. I still can't farm. I still can't. Sorry, come and sit with my table. Moses comes to Jesus' burning bush situation. I can't speak. That's right. Who made the tongue? Who made this all work together so far? Okay. Come and sit with me at my table. This is our story. This is the story of a chosen people. Chosen not because of what we can offer, not chosen because we have a certain bloodline, but chosen by the sheer generosity and kindness of a God that chose us. We love because He first loved us. For the sake of your father, Jonathan, I'm showing you, in in Scripture it talks about Jesus as the firstborn of all new creation. It's not, just, it's not like a linear thing. It's talking about for the sake of Jesus, let me look through the lens of Jesus at you. 
talks, Paul uses this idea of in Christ. In Christ. It's like Christ comes over. This is not getting over my watch, so I'm going to revert on that plan. Um, <laughs> Christ comes over, he gives you his jacket, and you stand before God, and he says, I can't tell the difference between Jesus and you, because you are in Christ, and you have a place at his table as a son and a daughter of God. I guess this compels me now at this point to go, great, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for choosing me in spite of my insufficiency, in spite of my history, you chose me. He says, come and sit at my table, but then he says this, if we flip the switch again and we say we've been in Mephibosheth's shoes, let us put David's shoes on for a moment and say, who's coming to your table? Do you have space at your table? Do you have space in your life for someone to come and sit with you? Not to rush you, not to serve you, but to share a meal with you, to have a moment with you. I know some people at Christmas actually have a spare seat at the table, indicative of if there's a person they find that they have a welcome seat. let's, Let's take it a bit bigger than Christmas. If we have really experienced this generosity... Who are we not to add a chair to the table of our lives for someone else? Who am I? I'll tell you what, I'm blind and I'm deaf because obviously I haven't seen what God has done for me. I love that line. It's like, if the gospel isn't real through you, it hasn't been real to you. Man, my friend, would you understand that the gospel is so real today that no matter what you walked in with, no matter what your history is, whether it's aminosity, whether you've been against God, whether you feel like you've been like the best atheist on the planet, whether you feel like there's been hurt, maybe you've hurt by the church, hurt by the family that you've been growing up with, maybe God's been tainted with something. Maybe there's history. Maybe there's poverty in your heart. Maybe there's disability. Whatever that looks like, let me tell you that God has a seat at his table for you. And it's not going to be crowded. It's always just you and him. No matter how many people sit at this table with you, it's always just you and him. As an invitation, come to my table, but my friend, if you experience that love, your chairs, you won't have enough chairs at your table because suddenly everything is insufficient. The cost, I'm no longer concerned about cost. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, for Christ's love compels me. Compels me. It's not like, it's like 98 unleaded. (laughs) You know how it says like premium and it's good for your engine and, and it's like efficient? It goes in, it transforms your engine, but there has to be a, a turning of the engine before it starts transforming things inside. There, it is fueling you. The love of Christ and the encounter of Christ at the table, just you and him, is the very thing that gives vision for the rest of the thing. It's the experience of the gospel for yourself that informs how you are generous with everybody else. So maybe this Christmas, maybe you do have a chair at your table, but maybe would you look to 2023 and look not just at what gains you might make at the gym, 
how can I be more generous with my time? Who is someone who God is calling me to? Because God will give you like a where's Wally situation where he will pick people out for you to encounter you and encounter your life and you are enough to make a difference. Because God said, and that's it, done. <laughs> who am I to argue with God? <laughs> Hasn't worked in the, worked in the past. <laughs> but here we are. Did you open up your life? Maybe it's a phone call, maybe it's a text message. Maybe it's a life group. Maybe you need to start a life group and invite people over. Maybe you don't need any sort of, maybe it's your workmates. Maybe you need to open up your life once again to your workmates. And maybe you just make up appointments. I need to go to the same cafe every day. Not because they serve particularly good coffee, though choose somewhere that does. <laughs> I'm a big advocate for that. <laughs> but maybe because that barista behind the counter is your agenda. Maybe you need to sit at the same office and being like, well, I know that this person's over here, so I'm going to sit in the common room instead just because you're waiting for an encounter because God has set them in your heart and you're making space at your table just as God made space at his table for you. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message inspires you to unmistakably influence your world for good and for God. Go ahead and share it with a friend. And can I invite you to connect with us on one of our many social media platforms as well? Most importantly, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, I want to say congratulations. This is the beginning of a life-changing journey. We'd love to see you at one of our many City Point Church services around the world this Sunday. And you can find out more about our service times and locations at citypointchurch.com. We would be so thrilled to see you there.